Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, December 12th, 2021, we continue our series titled Romans, Gospel for All Time. Today's sermon, Peace with God, will be taught to us by Pastor Bob Wade out of Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. So what's the promise? God says he's going to make Abraham's family great. They'll have land, they'll have many nations. The world will be blessed through his family. The next thing we see is Abraham's trust in that promise. When it seems like all hope had been lost, when the situation seemed impossible, in hope he believed against all of the odds. The odds of what? Verse 19, it says, he didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. He considered one impossibility, a biological impossibility, the impossibility of them having a child. There's a second uh, impossibility he considered. He considered a theological impossibility of God breaking a promise. So compared to those two, um, man, being 190 plus and trying to have a kid while your wife is barren, which is impossible, or God saying, this is what's gonna happen, which one does he believe? says he didn't waver. He grew strong and he trusted God. There's probably something there for us this morning in that of whatever impossible situation we might be facing. I don't know if it's a work thing for you. Maybe it's a family thing for you. Maybe it's a school thing for you facing some type of impossible situation where you're looking at it and you're like, there's just no way. I know God makes all things work together for, for our good and for his glory, but not in this situation. This situation's impossible, not for God. During the Civil War, there was a young soldier who was wounded severely enough that he was deemed not able to carry on the fight any longer, and so they made a decision to release him from a Union prison camp in Northern Virginia. His brother, though, who was also wounded, was not released. And that prompted the released soldier to make his way the short distance from the prison camp up to the White House in Washington, D.C. He wanted to thank President Lincoln for his kindness and asked for his brother's release so that they might both go home and be able to take care of his widowed mother. But the guards wouldn't let him in to see the president. A few days later, the Lincoln's young son, Tad, was outside playing and he noticed there was a distraught man over on a park bench that was weeping. So he went up to him and asked him, what's wrong? The soldier told him that he was hoping to get a chance to speak to the president, but again, the guards would not let him in, and so Tad Lincoln took him by the hand and headed straight for the front door of the White House. Walked right past the guards, no questions asked. They didn't search him. Got to walk right in, and he got to speak his piece to the president. You know, the story there is really just a beautiful metaphor for the role that Jesus God's son plays with the father and why the father sent the son. During the the Christmas holiday, obviously we focus on the birth of the baby, but we are reminded that 700 years before his birth, the prophet Isaiah told us that this baby who was born in a manger was going to be called the Prince of Peace. The passage this morning will make that clear. It will tell us that Jesus will bring peace to those who have placed their faith and their trust in him. And so if you're opened up to Romans chapter five, follow along with me as we look at the first two verses here. 
Paul starts off and he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, if you notice here, the first word of chapter five is the word therefore, and that links us immediately back to the last part, the very last section there of chapter four. And chapter four actually ends with the word justification. And so what Paul's doing here is he's gonna tell you, he's gonna say, therefore, as a result of justification, This is what you get. You get peace with God. Well, what's justification? Well, justification is because of faith, God decides to declare you righteous, holy. That's a big thing. Paul is going to tell us what the results of justification, the results of placing your faith are in Jesus Christ. Now, the first thing he's gonna tell us here is that we have peace with God. Go back to verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's a really good thing. You know, peace is not an easy thing to have in this world. It's not uncommon for people to not have peace in their family. It's not uncommon for people to not have peace in the work area. It's certainly not uncommon for nations to uh, have not have peace between them. It's not uncommon in our nation to have sides that politically divide up and for whatever reason we don't have peace you know, between us as, as a people. You know, according to the Society of International Law in London, over the last 4,000 years, there's only been 268 years of peace on earth. During that time, there were 8,000 peace treaties that were made and broken. And just to give you a perspective on this whole thing, if you're 21 or under, what that basically means is in your lifetime, there has never been one single time that there has been peace on the earth. Not once. The truth is, it's, it's always been that way. I mean, if you go back to the very beginning, it's been that way. Go back to the first book of the Bible in Genesis, the very first family that even gets mentioned there, there was no peace. One brother, Cain, killed the other brother, Abel. Jerry Adams, who uh, ran a political organization, Sin Fin, which was sort of the, uh, the, the p- political side of a of terrorist group in Northern Ireland at the time, was negotiating with the British And he said this, he said, making peace I have found is much harder than making war. That's the world we live in. That's what makes the promise of Romans chapter five so amazing. Paul is is telling us here that peace is available and attainable as a result of faith in Jesus Christ. Now he's not talking about peace between nations. If you're thinking that's gonna happen, I have some really bad news for you. Until every knee bows and every tongue confesses, there will not be peace between nations. Never. Won't happen. Well, then what peace is he talking about? Paul's talking about peace with God. That's, That's like a revolutionary thought. I can have peace with God? I mean, not just a feeling of peace, but actual peace. You know, some of you must be thinking, well, do I need peace with God? 
I mean, I don't really feel like I'm all that mad at God. I don't really know if I have anything against God. Well, the truth is, God has something against you. And some of you might be going, really? Yeah. Paul in Ephesians 2 verse 3 tells us that there is something instinctively inside of us that wants to do our own thing and follow this, this pattern that's out there that is, that's completely away from the pattern that God sets for our lives. In James chapter four, he talks about the fact that as people, as human beings, I tend to look and see what you have and I want it, so I go take it. That's why there's wars between you know, nations. That's why there's lawsuits between people. That's why there's this heavy-duty competition that takes place between businesses that are out there. And you know, it's because I want and I want what you have. And as a result, you know, people begin to think, well, I want my way and I want to, uh, you know, I want to be the boss. I want to call the shots. I want to do my own thing. And in the process, we ignore our creator, the creator of all things, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so, yes, God has something against you. You understand what I'm saying here? The reason why we do not have peace is not the other political party. The reason why we do not have peace is not some other nation out there that we're in competition with. The reason we do not have peace is because of the battle between political systems. The reason why we do not have peace is a little three-letter word, sin. What Paul is telling us here in verse one is, as a result of being justified by faith, and justified by faith means God declares us righteous because we believe, we trust in him. As a result of that, we have peace with God. How? How? Through a, a baby born in a manger who ultimately will grow up and die on a cross to bring peace between us and the Father. Let me show you something. Keep your finger here in Romans. I want you to go back to the left to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Isaiah is a huge book. You can't miss it, okay? Isaiah 53. God spoke to Isaiah and Isaiah wrote these things down. He starts off in verse four and he says, surely he, talking about Jesus, the Messiah to come, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Basically what that means is that the wrath that should have come to us came to him. Verse five. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and by his wounds we are healed. Now did you catch that little line there? The chastisement that brought us peace. That's the cross. The cross of Christ. Jesus being born in the manger, living this life and then ultimately going to the cross and dying on the cross is the thing that opened the door for you and I to have peace with God. When we find Jesus, then we find peace. That's what the scriptures tell us. 
Judges chapter 6, 24 says, the Lord is our peace. Ephesians 2.14 says, he himself is our peace. In fact, if you were to look at the sort of the Christmas story there in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, when the, the angels are out there and they're trying to give confidence to the shepherds because they're, well, what is going on out here in this whole thing? They stop and they make this amazing announcement. They say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. To who? To those whom he is pleased. Remember the, the promise that I mentioned back in Isaiah 9, 6, where it says he would be called the Prince of Peace? Do you ever wonder why he's the Prince of Peace and not the Prince of Fulfillment or not the Prince of Enlightenment or not the Prince of, of Happiness? Why is he the Prince of Peace? Because that's the the number one thing that you need between you and God is peace. Peace. According to Romans chapter five, verse one, it only comes through Jesus. In fact, by Jesus' own words, that was his mission. John chapter 16, verse 33 Jesus is walking along and declares to his disciples, I came to bring peace between God and man. That was his mission. Now, to do that would mean that he's got to go to the cross and he's got to die. Paul mentions that in Colossians chapter one, verse 20. It says, through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. There was an early church father named uh, Augustine and, and in a writing that he wrote called Confessions, I think he summed this up perfectly when he said this. He said, God, you made us for yourself and our hearts find no peace until they rest in you. That's truth right there. You will not find the peace you are looking for in buying a new home, entering a new relationship, those things will be a, a momentary blip, but the peace that you need, that we need inside, is the one that takes every barrier away, removes my sin, and gives me peace with God. There's a little truth that sometimes you'll see this, it'll just say simply this, no Jesus equals no peace. But to know Jesus is to know peace. The amazing promise is you could have walked in this morning regardless of the situation that you're in, but you could walk out this morning having peace between you and God. Now, there's a second promise that comes with it that Paul, or, that Paul mentions here in verse two, and that is access to the Father. He says, through him we have obtained access by faith. Now, what's he mean by access? Well, pre-Jesus, there had always been a barrier between God and people. I mean, you go all the way back to the days of Moses when God resided, or his presence at that time resided in a tent. It was called the tabernacle. It would be sort of the precursor from the, for the modern day temple that was built and the first one being built by Solomon who was the second king of Israel. Both were intended to be temporary homes for God among his people. 
Both the tabernacle and the, and the temple had this massively large courtyard. And inside the courtyard was this, this huge tent, and the tent was divided into two parts. On one part, you had this larger section that was called the holy place. And inside of that, there was a table and, and, and you, they would put bread on the table and it would remind us of God's provision. And, and there was another part that would have candles and the incense would be burned. And there was all of these things that would remind us of these religious things and, and, and were supposed to make people's thoughts go to something, but it never quite got there exactly. That was called the holy place. The other side was smaller, much smaller, and it, by the way, the two places were separated by this curtain, big heavy curtain that people called a veil. It was a veil between one section, this, and by the way, that, that one section that I just mentioned, only a few priests could go into that section. Those that would go in and serve the Lord, change the table and do all that stuff like that. But then that second section not the holy place, but the most holy place, or sometimes it's called the holy of holies. Inside of that, which is where the Ark of the Covenant was at, which on top of the Ark of the Covenant was called the mercy seat. There, nobody got to go in. Nobody, except for the high priest, got to go in one time, once a year. Tradition tells us that even when he went in, they would actually take and tie a rope around his ankle just in case he wasn't right before the Lord and God killed him and so that they would pull him back out again. God, there was always this veil though there between us and God's mercy. It's crazy. It's crazy when you think about all this, right? Why in the world was it so complicated sin sin separates us from god and in the process of it you know having all these different complications there god was providing every single opportunity to see look you want to try it this way you think this is a part of that's going to happen because you know you're jewish okay that's not going to get you in you think you just a sacrifice is going to make it for you nope that's not going to work either i'm going to show you that every single religious path you have will not fix this issue no matter what happens the religious path you have still leaves a veil between you and me And then Jesus went to the cross and died. Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51 tell us, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, and behold, the, the curtain of the temple, that's the veil that I was talking about that separates you know, the holy place from the holy of holies, was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The veil, the curtain that separated us from God was torn in two. Okay, what's that mean? It now means because of Jesus' death, there is no barrier between you and I and God. Nothing keeps us from going before the king. Nothing. Do you realize how amazing this is? How wonderful this is? Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 20 says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Christ, his death, the thing that separated the veil, by the new and the living way, 
that he opened up to us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Now you and I can come to the Lord directly. We can enter into the Holy of Holies. Relationship has fixed the problem, the emptiness of religion at that moment. You see, the temple, the tabernacle was just a shadow of things to come. Everything was meant to point to Jesus. The veil in the temple was this constant reminder, that veil that separated all those people. Every single time they would look at it, the point would be is you're not good enough to go in there. You're not good enough. The fact that sin offerings kept having to be made, they kept having to kill all these animals and, and, and you know, pour their blood out, that, that should have told people that it doesn't work. Do you want to know what the offerings did in the Old Testament? It's very simple. When you sinned, the offering would come and it would, it would cover, it would put a kofar, the Hebrew word there, kofar means it would put a covering over your sin. It took your sin away, but it didn't change you. You're still a sinner. You're still not holy. It took that unholy thing you did away, but you're still a sinner. That's why they kept having to do it over and over again. It was only through Jesus' death, the perfect sacrifice, that the barrier between God and man was removed. Now you and I can approach the Lord with confidence and boldness. That's why Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Stop there just for a second. Whatever it is you're carrying with you inside, whatever it is, the good news there is the promises is, is he gets that. He gets every single thing you're carrying. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us there then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you realize what happened when this all happened? Hebrews 8, 13 tells us that a brand new covenant was established. At the same time, Acts 17, 24 tells us that God decided at that point that he would never again dwell in a temple made with human hands. Never again would God have to reside in either a temple or a building or a tent or whatever the case may be. You know why? Because 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that God now resides inside of us. Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6. Now, verse two will also give us the third blessing that we received. It's not just that you and I believe and now we have peace with God and now I have access to the Father that I can go to him anytime, but the third blessing here is security. Go back to verse two. He says, and through him we've also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. That term there, in this, into this grace in which we stand, is an amazing word, or amazing statement there that should give you a sense of security. We are safe in Christ. We stand in his grace. And the reason why that matters is, is because the fact that you're in God's grace means you didn't get what you deserved. Instead, you got what you didn't deserve, which is mercy and grace. 
Now the love of God is in control completely. Listen to what that means. I mean, if you're in Romans 5 here, turn over to chapter 8. Go over to chapter 8 for a second and look at starting in verse 31. Listen to what Paul says. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also in him freely, graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Stop. You remember what I told you what the word justifies means? It means by faith God declares you righteous. You didn't deserve it. But God decided to declare you righteous. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's security. To be saved by grace is to be secure in the arms of Christ. You know, people try to insulate themselves from danger you know, we, we live behind fences and walls. That's not true security. That is a, a barrier between me and my fears. Security does not exist in the absence of danger. It exists in the presence of God. That baby, that baby born in a manger, not only brought peace between me and God, not only gives me access to the Father at any time, not only gives me security to know that I stand in what I don't even deserve, but it also gives me hope. That's the fourth thing, hope. Verse two, again, says, and through him we've also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What he's saying here is that God created you and I to shine, to reflect his glory. And this grace in which we stand gives us a hope of reclaiming that glory which we are created to reflect. Here's the truth. God created us to be walking billboards. Living displays of the glory of God. Sin, though, changed the billboard. Grace restores it. It gives you the chance. It gives you the chance to be the best version of yourself. It gives you the chance to be a better human being than you could be on any possible level. To be saved by grace through faith is to have a peace that is not a momentary peace, but a real peace, a peace between us in God. You know, I'm going to ask the worship team if they'll come back and join me. 
It means to have access personally to God. I don't need to go to a priest. I can go to the Lord anytime I want. Do you realize what an amazing thought that is? You could go to the creator of the universe 24-7 in any situation at any time. People in the Old Testament should have been longing for this thinking that, well, the only way I can get to God is if I go make a sacrifice and I, you know, I go to a priest and I try to you know, ask and see if I can get one you know, little wedge in sideways where the Lord will listen to me. That's all gone. Relationship-fixed religion. It brings security because now nothing can separate me from the love of God. It brings hope that I can finally be who God has intended for me to be, but it requires one thing, one thing. It requires belief, trust. You see, by faith, we are justified. By faith, we are declared righteous by God. Now, there's this promise, and I don't know how it all works out. I don't know how it all fits together exactly. There are times that I, don't, I, I have a hard time mat- meshing every single thing in the scriptures perfectly together. I'm just a human being. But the promise is, in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I don't know what God might be doing in your heart. But I know the promise is if you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. I don't know who's going to believe. That's the Lord's choice. I just know that we need to provide that opportunity. That you could have peace with God. The question is, is the Lord calling you to that? This is not gonna happen by you being a good person. It doesn't matter how good you are. You could be the best person in the row that you're sitting right now. So what? You could be the best person in your family. Maybe, maybe where you work, you could be the, the very best. Maybe you're the kind of person that every single time you see someone in need, you stop and you help them. That's wonderful. I mean, you could be a, a philanthropist and, and help all sorts of needy causes, and that's great too. But it's a little bit like that Old Testament sacrifice. It might take care of one thing, but it does not fundamentally change you and make you holy. You've done a good thing, but it doesn't make you holy. The only thing that makes me holy is faith. Is God, because I believe him, declaring me righteous. And so we have to stop the religious stuff. We have to stop all these works and stuff for a minute and we have to come back to this one thing. God is calling you to a relationship with him. Do you respond or not? I want to give you that opportunity. I don't know where you're at, what you're dealing with, but I will say this, there's no one in the world that would not benefit from peace with God. So if God is calling you, I'm gonna encourage you 
to call out to him. Would you do me a favor, just for a moment, would you go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes, and I just want to be clear with you, there's nothing remotely spiritual about you putting your head down or closing your eyes. It just focuses you on you for a minute. It allows you to think about you. What is the Lord doing with you right now? If God is calling you to himself, calling you to believe and to trust in him, I'm gonna ask you to simply pray after me. I'll just pray an example prayer. Nothing special about my words at all. But if that's what you're seeking to do is to trust in the Lord, you can pray after me silently right where you're at. Holy God, I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to bring peace between you and me. I confess that I have sinned. I've done things that were wrong. And I'm asking you to wipe them away and make me your child. You be my savior and king. And I trust in you. Let me ask you a question. No one's looking around, but if you prayed that prayer, would you just do me a favor so we could know to pray? Would you just slip your, maybe your hand up and then you can put it back down again? Thank you. Thank you. I want to encourage you that at the end of this service, there'll be a group of people down here after the service down here available to pray with you. They would love to be able to stop and answer any question you have. They'd love to be able to pray with you through anything you're going through. They'd love to be able to help you get started in this brand new faith, this walk of faith the right way. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, for sending your son that we might know peace with you by him, by trusting in him. Lord, we pray that our hearts will be open, receptive, ready, excited, willing to walk with you, thankful that we could walk with you. Transform us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This Christmas is the greatest opportunity you have ever known in your life. This Christmas. We're not guaranteed another one beyond this one, and we can't go back to the other ones, but this Christmas, the beauty of that is you have an opportunity to have peace with God. And so do your friends. Invite them to come and hear the gospel message. Let the Lord work in the heart. Trust the Lord on that. But let's do our part. Don't get caught up in all of the lights all of the presents, the decorations, all of that kind of stuff. Get caught up in the fact that our Father gave His Son so that we might have peace, that we might have access, that we might have security, and we have the hope of being who God intended for us to be. That's 
good news. God bless you. Love you all. Have a great day.